You're listening to CLNS Media, powered by BetOnline.ag. Go to clnsmedia.com slash roll. Use our promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your first deposit. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Red Sox Beat Podcast, presented by CLNS Media. That's your leading online audio and video provider for Major League Baseball. I'm the host of this show here every week on here, Chris Cotillo from MassLive.com. I cover the Red Sox there. Uh, and obviously we're at an important part of the season. The All-Star break is upon us. Just got back from Cleveland yesterday. Um, a few days of All-Star festivities. The Red Sox had a large contingent there, not just the three players and Mookie Betts, Xander Bogarts, and J.D. Martinez, but also the manager, Alex Cora, and his coaching staff. Kind of an uneventful All-Star game in terms of the Red Sox. I mean, Mookie Betts didn't bat. J.D. Martinez was 0-2, and Xander Bogarts was 0-1. Nobody in the Derby. Um, so, you know, it's kind of more of a reprieve as this team gets back after a 15-, 16-day road trip where they were in London, they were in Toronto, Detroit, and for a lot of them in Cleveland uh, this past week. So this is kind of a different episode. This is episode number 224 of the podcast. It's presented to you by betonline.ag, which is CLNS's preferred online sportsbook. I've had a guest on here every week, and that's kind of been... As we've gone through the schedule, talk to either guys who cover uh, the Red Sox opponents, talk to other members of the beat, you know, talk to people who have been around the team for a while uh, in certain ways. But this week's going to be kind of a different one. I'm going to do it alone, and I'm going to talk about, in my mind, covering this team and being around it for as many games as I have so far, what the 10 biggest storylines that have defined the Red Sox so far this year. You know, obviously, it has not been the kind of season that the Red Sox would have anticipated after winning 108 games in a World Series last year, but still... If you look at it, as we're at the All-Star break, they're eight games over 500 at 49 and 41. Within striking distance, maybe not of the Yankees in the AL East, but definitely right there in the wild card. Nine games back in the American League East and in the wild card, two games out of the Cleveland Indians and two and a half behind the Rays for that first wild card spot. So to me, here, in no particular order, are what I would call the 10 different things that have defined the Red Sox season to this point. Number one, it starts at the top. It starts where this team wanted to build from at the beginning, and that is the starting rotation. You're looking at a rotation that was supposed to be one of the best in baseball, right? That's kind of how they built them. David Price, Chris Sale, Rick Porcello, Eduardo Rodriguez, and Nathan Evaldi. You know, you on paper would have put that group up against anybody. Sale's the ace. Even with the shoulder issues last year, you knew you know, after they committed all that money to him in spring training that they felt comfortable with it. David Price pitched really well down the stretch last year, pitched really well in the playoffs, and opted in to return to Boston. Erod, up and down, everybody for about the sixth straight year said, oh, this is the year he's going to really take a step forward. Porcello has been a Cy Young winner before, and um, after you know, kind of a bad year, um, by his standards last year was kind of going to be that back of the rotation stabilizer, hopefully at times. And then Nathan Evaldi was the postseason hero last year who they committed $68 million to. Those guys have not been... You know, at the level that anybody expected, Sale has been extremely inconsistent. David Price has been by far the best of the group, so he's a little bit of exempt from this. Uh, Evaldi's only pitched four games because of that elbow injury. Eduardo Rodriguez has been, you know, pretty bad, and Rick Porcello has been, you know, even the worst of that group. You come in, you know, at the All Star game at the All Star break, the Red Sox, 18th in ERA in the major leagues in the starting rotation at 4.70. That is ridiculous compared to where they should be. They should be right near the top of the league. And so you've seen kind of everything from this team uh, work from the top down. You know, the rotation has struggled since that first series in Seattle when they went on to Oakland and Arizona. It has not been good since, and that is why the Red Sox are nine games behind the Yankees. That is the number one reason. Um, said I wouldn't go in order, but there's your number one reason. Um, even more than the bullpen, you know, and obviously that is a huge part of this too. We'll get to that in a second. Number two, I think 
you know, the Red Sox don't want to talk about this, and they don't want to use it as a crutch. They don't want to use the excuse. But they were dealt a really bad hand by the schedule makers this year. You know, when, when even talking to different writers at the All-Star break and talking about, you know, what the what the Red Sox schedules look like at a couple points this year, it's pretty ridiculous. You know, obviously they lost two home games. And there was some to do about that, only 79 games at Fenway. But the logistics of, of going from Fort Myers, going coming out of the gate, playing two exhibition games in Arizona, four games up in Seattle, four games in Oakland, three in Arizona without an off day, as much as they didn't want to use that as an excuse, you know, they got off to a three and eight start. They've been trying to dig out of that hole ever since, for the most part, have turned it around at least record-wise. But that was ugly. You know, it was a really tough way to start the year uh, before the home opener. They came out flat in that as well. You know, going back to the day of the ring ceremony against the Blue Jays, and it was uh, not a good way to start. In the last couple of weeks, it's been, I think, even more difficult. Two games in London were miserable. I wasn't there. The people that were there, we had Jason Master Donato on last week from the Boston Herald. He said it was actually an enjoyable time, but baseball-wise, it was very tough for the Red Sox and very tough for a viewing audience. Two four-and-a-half-hour games at you know 50 runs, I think, combined between the teams. They then have a day off, go to Toronto for three, go to Detroit for three, and, and now on to Cleveland, like I said, for the All-Star festivities. So that's not easy at all. You know, these, these guys have not slept in their own bed, played at Fenway for two weeks or something like 15 or 16 days when they come back against the Dodgers uh, to start this series, the first one out of the break. But it's it's not been kind. You know, they actually kind of kept their heads above water by beating up on Toronto and Detroit like they should. But, um, you know, still, you, you look at those and, and you wonder what kind of toll it takes for uh, things that are out of the Red Sox control but still very tough circumstances you know, a big first world problems type of thing right there that they had to deal with both of those uh, scheduling quirks. Number three is, I think, the thing that all of Red Sox Nation knew would be one of the biggest problems, and that is the bullpen. We've seen, you know, after they were actually one of the strengths early on in the season, we've had a, a, a huge regression here over the last couple months. Matt Barnes has been a lot worse. Ryan Brazier's been worse than he was a year ago. Marcus Walden has not looked good at all in the last few outings, and you have a Red Sox bullpen that desperation time. We know that Nathan Evaldi's moving to probably be the closer as soon as the all-star break ends, and I think that is a panic move, as we've talked about. It's obviously, you didn't commit $68 million to that guy to be your closer, but with his injury, with the circumstances they're facing now, uh, they need to stabilize that bullpen somehow. Nathan Evaldi hopefully will do that. You look at the bullpen, and, and this kind of goes back to the rotation where they've been overtaxed the whole year based on how the rotation, you know, didn't go deep into games. They would give up leads in the fourth or the fifth and they'd have to turn to the bullpen early. And then you're using Matt Barnes in the seventh all of a sudden when he gets, he's your high leverage guy and you're overusing Matt Barnes by a lot. You know, look at how many appearances he had in June blew by his career high. Brandon Workman having a career year, but, you know, we wonder if that's going to catch up. Marcus Walden, it clearly has caught up a little bit. Brazier, the same type of thing. You have a group now that includes names that you never thought that you would really see up on the Red Sox. We had Trevor Kelly in a Red Sox uniform last week. Josh Taylor's been on this team for a couple weeks. Mike Schwarren, he was actually good before his implosion in London. But these guys that shouldn't have been relied on. And then, of course, I always think back to Dave Dombrowski uh, in January at the Baseball Writers' Dinner saying, we have four guys who are capable of closing games for us. That's Matt Barnes, hasn't worked out. Ryan Brazier, regressed. Stephen Wright, who was you know, popped 80 games for PEDs in spring training, and Tyler Thornburg, who had a 7-7-1 ERA with the Red Sox. 
was even worse on a rehab assignment and finally was released earlier this week, ending an era that was never good here in Boston. You're relying on guys like Brandon Workman and Marcus Walden, Colton Brewer too much. Heath Hembree has actually been good. It could be a lot worse in terms of the Red Sox bullpen based on the guys they have, but it also could be a lot better. Expecting a lot of changes there after the break. Nathan Avaldi, Darwinson Hernandez, you know, maybe some other prospects come up and stabilize that. And of course, there's the possibility of a trade as well. So those things, all the first three have been negative. And I think that's the way a lot of Red Sox fans look at this season so far. But number four, we get to actually give some kudos to, you know, the fourth thing that defines the Red Sox season is how good Raphael Devers and Xander Bogarts have been to me. Bogarts had a career year last year and has just gotten even better this year, which has been very impressive. Raphael Devers is playing out of his mind. A ridiculous all-star snub. Alex Gore talked last week about maybe he gets a silver slugger at the end of the year. Maybe, you know, he's in contention for the MVP. And that's, you know, not that far out of the question. Obviously, there's a lot of guys. Mike Trout is right in there. DJ LeMahieu's had an incredible year for the Yankees. It's kind of a an under-the-radar signing. But Rafael Devers, what he's been able to do in his age 22 season now, second full year in the majors, hitting 324 with 16 homers and 62 RBIs at the break. I don't think anybody would have envisioned that. And if you did, you know, you would have thought the Red Sox were in a much better place overall. Xander Bogarts, I think, you know, this is a more of a – an on and off the field thing once he signed that contract in april and people have written about this and uh he really emerged as a leader on the team you know he's the guy that throughout april and may if there was a bad loss you didn't see certain guys at their locker ready to take questions with xander bogarts who is very good with the media stood up there and said you know bring it on bring on the questions i'll answer them as honestly as i can and that is not something we would have seen probably a year ago from Xander. So I think an evolution there, both on the field and off the field, from a guy who has been you know, one of the Red Sox best players. A third guy who's really played out of his mind this year is Christian Vasquez. Been a lot better than I anticipated. I was actually arguing when they were looking at trying to get rid of one of the catchers in spring training. I said they should keep Sandy Leone and Blake Swihart. Swihart with the offensive potential, Leone as a defensive catcher, but they obviously saw a lot in Vasquez. They locked him into that starting role, and it's been one of the better decisions they've made. Swihart hasn't hit, uh, done anything in Arizona. Leone, you know, has serves his role, whatever, but Vasquez has been uh, one of the best catchers in the American League, and that's really no joke. Uh, fifth on this list to me is something that is one of the more important points that I'll make, I think, because there's been urgency since mid-April with this team. You look back, there have been three points where I think the Red Sox have made shocking, well, shocking maybe is overdoing a little bit, but at least surprising moves where they went back on something they committed to and and very strongly said that this is going to be how it's going to be. We've decided this. If anybody questions us, this is our decision, and they've gone back and switched on three occasions. Number one is that Swihart move we were just talking about. Sandy Leone comes up after you know just a couple weeks. Blake Swihart's designated for assignment. Sandy Leone comes back to the pitching staff. In retrospect, you look at that move being made on April 16th and think, wow, they they really you know knew that after that bad homestand where they they split with the Orioles and Blue Jays were both horrendous that they needed to make a change. They recognized early on, well, this isn't going to be as smooth sailing as it was a year ago. So they had to make that move. And um, obviously, Dustin Pedroia, they thought he was going to be back long term. He ended up playing what might be the last game of his career a day later. That's a different story. They made that move. They were very urgent with it. Number two also happened in the Bronx about a month and a half later. Andrew Benatendi in the leadoff spot, no more. Mookie Betts goes back to that spot because Benatendi wasn't really doing the job and they wanted to get back to 
where they had been, you know, last year and trying to get that offense kind of going in the same way. Alex Cora said during the offseason it's a move that he really was happy about, was really excited to see how it would work out. Ben attendee first, Mookie second. It didn't pan out throughout really the entirety of, of how, you know, when he was employing it. Really, to be honest, neither did Mookie one, Ben attendee two. We're now seeing kind of the fruits of the labor of Mookie one, Endeavors two, and I think that'll be kind of the mix that we'll see moving forward. But just the fact that Alex Cora came out and said this is how we're going to do the lineup this year and then switched back on it after two months I think was really interesting. And number three is that Evaldi move that we were talking about. He becomes the closer as of last month. Alex Cora basically said there was no chance that they would make him the closer when he comes back. He's a part of the rotation. He's a strong part of the rotation, and it hasn't panned out. He made four starts. He got hurt. And all of a sudden, Nathan Evaldi is going to be one of the best relievers or your top relievers on this team. So to me, that was a big move. And the three of those things together, I think, show that the Red Sox have some worries, at least internally. We'll see how they pan out over the rest of July as we get toward the trade deadline. But there are at least some you know, cracks in that foundation that made them so successful last year. And, and looking back, that started in mid-April with the Swihart move. Number six is on one of those topics, Mookie Betts and the year he's having. I think after the year he had last year, expectations, not just for him, but the entire team, and we'll touch on that later, were sky high. And Mookie Betts, after being the MVP and really being just consistent across the board, a huge drop-off really in every statistical category. Just batting average goes from 346 last year to 272. His OPS goes from 1078 to 859, slugging from 640 to 467. Home runs last year he had 32 through 88 games this year. He has just 13. So it, it really has been, you know, for Mookie Betts, not a great year. Every number's down. Um, stolen bases. He had 30 last year. He only has 10 at this point at the break. You know, obviously that's product of the of the lineup change and things like that. But he's been, you know, a league average player. I think in a lot of ways offensively, he's still, you know, worth three and a half war. He's been great defensively and, and all that kind of stuff. But to me, it's just the level he was at last year set the standard. Okay, Mookie Betts is a guy who was a two-time All-Star heading into last year. He had an incredible year. He was second in the MVP in 2016. But when you win that MVP, you unseat Mike Trout. You know, there's kind of that expectation that you'll be that player you know, for years to come. It really hasn't materialized at all this year, and, and he has been you know, disappointing. I think the all-star nod was more of a nod to the name than the performance. Uh, there's more deserving Red Sox, Devers, Vasquez maybe even, uh, than Mookie Betts has been. And, you know, it's, it's been very, very surprising and, and, and disappointing, I think, for the Red Sox that he has been, you know, so so far off from that ridiculous year he had last year. Just because, you know, I think when you look at this roster as a whole, you look at the, the known quantities they thought they had have disappointed and other guys have stepped up you know for this team to make a leap those guys had to step up Xander Bogarts has Rafael Devers Christian Vasquez that's great they have Brandon Workman even Marcus Walden guys you never expected Heath Hembree in the bullpen to step up they have David Price stepped up for most of the year but you thought you see the known quantities all of the guys you thought that you had or have not Mookie Betts Chris Sale Matt Barnes, Ryan Brazier, you know, those kind of guys I think have been the disappointing ones. So really, you know, kind of a bizarre world it has been since the beginning where the be your best have not been consistent um, and the players that you needed to step up 
have actually done it. So uh, Mookie Betts, hopefully for him and the Red Sox, a turnaround in the second half. Side note on Mookie Betts, uh, as I'll, I'll write for Mass Live, he's obviously about a year and a half away from free agency now. Seems like there's no traction toward a deal with the Red Sox. He will be, and we'll explore this topic, I'm sure, a thousand times in this podcast before it happens. An off-season trade candidate uh, for the Red Sox. I think that's that's trending in that direction. So um, stay tuned on that one for sure. The seventh factor out of the ten is how good the New York Yankees have been. The Yankees right now at the All-Star break with their nine-game lead on the Red Sox are 57-31. and 31. That is on an over 100 win pace, and it is only two games behind where the Red Sox were at this point last year. They were 59 and 29 through 88 games. The Yankees have been amazing. You know, we've talked about DJ LeMay. He really stepped up from an unheralded signing to one of the best players in baseball coming over from Colorado. Um, he's been awesome. You know, the Yankees have had really success across the board from a lot of guys, and that's been crazy considering how many injuries they've had. You know, you had Judge and Stanton, Tanaka, um, all these guys, Tances, Severino, all these guys you thought would be huge for the Yankees and Duhar and Gregorius and everybody all hurt. And they've still just been just an absolute machine throughout the entire year. And it's already at a point where the Red Sox can't keep up with them. You know, the Red Sox, not just uh, nine games behind them in the standings, but obviously have not played well when they faced the Yankees. They are one in six in their first seven games. Five-game swing in the division, obviously great math there, even by a journalism major. Um, one and six against the Yankees is their worst record against any club. Um, and four and five against the Rays is not great either in, in your main um, other division competitor. Now that, luckily for the Red Sox, can turn around really soon. The Red Sox, and, and people don't realize this, I don't think, as much as they should, but the Red Sox are about to embark on what will be a season-defining part of the schedule not just you know these three games against the Dodgers over this weekend that are going to be very important because you want to get off on the right foot playing your World Series rematch with a team that's been one of the very best in baseball all year but I'm looking at a stretch from July 22nd to August 4th July 22nd the Red Sox start a three-game series in Tampa they then come home for four games over the weekend against the New York Yankees three games at home right around the trade deadline against the Tampa Bay Rays, and then they go on the road for four games in three days, a doubleheader from that rain out in late May against the Yankees. That is 14 straight games against the Rays and the Yankees, including eight against New York, six against Tampa, home and road with both right around the trade deadline. The Red Sox, before the trade deadline, will get to see how they match up against Tampa Bay three times, the Yankees four times, and then it's July 30th, and that's when Dave Dombrowski can decide if he really wants to commit to this. Red Sox go on a tear there, and you know they win. I don't know six of eight against the Yankees, and you're you're talking about a team that is now back within striking distance um, in the division. They'll play them again later in the year, September. Uh, another four games after that, but this is you know a lot of time, a lot of games against the Yankees, and and most of them, eight of them, coming at Fenway Park uh, for them at Yankee Stadium. So Red Sox have the opportunity if they if they can beat the Yankees uh, to really make some ground up there. It's something they haven't been able to do um, all season. So as it currently sits, the Red Sox, as I said, nine games out in second and third place in the uh, American League East. Their odds, as we segue to our wonderful uh, advertiser here, their odds 
in terms of making the playoffs and winning the American League are not as good as you would imagine. The Red Sox are plus 1,200. That's 12 to 1 to win the American League on betonline.ag. They are 12 to 1 to win the AL East. The Yankees are the clear favorite. The Rays are second. And to win the World Series, the Red Sox are now uh, 25 to 1, which is ridiculous compared to uh, where you thought they would have been uh, after last year. So those odds are brought to you by betonline.ag. Baseball season is halfway over, and placing a wager on baseball has never been more exciting than doing it now with betonline.ag. This week, you know, the Red Sox are playing the Dodgers in a big series over the weekend because your loyal listeners of the Red Sox Beat podcast and the CLNS Media Network were giving you an extra 50% added onto your sports betting bankroll. All you have to do is go to clnsmedia.com backslash SoxBeat, that's S-O-X-B-E-A-T, and use the code CLNS50, CLNS50. The best part is the bonus will be added onto your balance within seconds. You can support our podcast by going to clnsmedia.com backslash SoxBeat using the code CLNS50 and getting that bonus on betonline.ag. A couple of things, a minimum deposit of $25 is required to qualify for the bonus. The maximum bonus per deposit is 1000 so please see betonline.ag, that's like Attorney General, betonline.ag's general rules for additional terms and conditions regarding the bonus. Back to the regular scheduling, scheduled programming here. Three, four, three more factors that the Red Sox, I think the biggest stories, number eight, Nathan Avaldi's injury has been very, very tough for the Red Sox to overcome throughout the entire season. You know, Nathan Valdi makes four starts. He surprisingly goes on the disabled list or the injured list, whatever it is, in early April right after that series in the Bronx. He was supposed to be back within six weeks, and he hasn't been. You know, he had a setback, and he's still, you know, not hasn't gone out on rehab still. It's, it's July 12th, and he's not out on rehab. They might activate him for this weekend against the Dodgers as the closer. But that injury has forced the Red Sox to use a lot of guys in that fifth starter spot from Josh Smith and Ryan Weber, who no Red Sox fan had ever heard of before this season, to Hector Velasquez. And making that even worse is that Brian Johnson's been out pretty much the whole year with you know, first elbow inflammation and now uh, an off-the-field or non-baseball injury that we're not really sure what that is. So it's kind of been the Red Sox depth has been tested. Hector Velasquez has been hurt probably you know from overuse with a couple of back strains and Nathan Ovaldi going down was a huge blow. You know, I think in a few ways, you know, the Red Sox committed $68 million to him because they felt very comfortable with his medicals. Obviously missing three full months is, it's unavoidable because, you know, he just had loose bone chips and that's what happens when you have elbow surgeries and stuff like that. You get math and medical expertise on this podcast. Well, um, but he has missed three months. He's not come back anywhere close to as fast as they thought he would. And now moving him to the bullpen, really puts a strain on the rotation. You know, a report earlier this week from Ken Rosenthal was that they were looking at acquiring starting pitching depth. You would have known at the beginning of the year they didn't need that at all. They just would have needed it if an injury happened and, and something crazy, and we'll characterize this as something very crazy. Number nine, the ninth biggest factor. Ninth big factor, again, not in order, this Red Sox team and what they've done this year is the heightened expectations. Imagine you're a fan I don't know, before 2004, your Red Sox are eight games above 500 and they're two games out in the divi- in the wild card, excuse me, you're probably very happy with that. In a vacuum, you, you maybe should be because that 
you know, you want your team to contend. We've seen over the last, you know, 10 years, there have been a few Red Sox teams that have been out of it by this point. They've been clear deadline sellers. You know, everything has gone wrong. And you've seen a lot of teams constantly tank. You know, you knew a couple teams in the Red Sox division this year, Toronto and Baltimore, would be bad heading into the year. And, and yes, they are very bad. But even at eight games above 500, and even at two games out in the wild card, this team is looked at as a massive disappointment just because it's looked at in the context of a year ago and they were 108 and steamrolled through the Yankees, Astros, and Dodgers in the World Series. It's crazy how the expectations have changed around here in the 15 years since the first World Series was won. It's World Series or bust, not just, you know, get close. It's, it's really a World Series or bust. I think that's the way it should be. I don't look at seasons as being successful here or really with any team um, unless you win the championship. Um, so I, I think it's, it's the best way to look at it. But still, I mean, the Red Sox... It hasn't been that that bad. Eight games above, still within striking distance. Like I said, a lot of time, a lot of chances to make up games against the Yankees and the Rays. So we'll see if they do that. Um, and, you know, I wrote right before opening day, and I think this, this column ended up being kind of a, a predictor. You know, the Red Sox can still make their own history and write their own history this year without being 108-54 and winning the World Series. Who knows what's going to happen? You get into October, you get hot. Obviously, these guys have great postseason experience from the last three years, but especially you know winning the World Series last year. You know, Alex Cora has managerial experience in the postseason now. If Chris Sale is dominating, well, all of a sudden you have Chris Sale and David Price leading your postseason rotation. Let's say those guys with David Price's monkey off his back after you know winning last year. I don't know. I see this team maybe with another starter, or maybe Evaldi goes back to the rotation later in the year. There's a lot of question marks. If they get in the dance, they have a chance. You know, I, I don't think it's going to be the easiest path. Probably playing in a one-game wild card playoff. But if you're in the dance, you have a chance, and I think the Red Sox will. Um, and that, at the end of the day, is pretty much all you can ask for. Um, the inconsistency, which is going to be number 10. The inconsistency has been tough to watch. There's been things that haven't made sense. There's been times where this team looked like it's hitting rock bottom. London was one of them. The 3-8 and eight road trip was another one. Losing two games to the Yankees or losing two out of three. The second series in New York, another one. You know, And there's been really, really bad losses You know, with the bullpen and really bad home losses. And inconsistency, 20-20 and 20 at Fenway Park. That's ridiculous. Um, not, not expected at all. So I think... You know, if you just look at it, take a step back, within striking distance, a lot of games left against the Yankees and Rays, maybe it isn't that bad. Number 10 is the story of the Red Sox season. It's the general inconsistency. Two steps back, four, two steps forward, four steps back, three steps forward, five steps back, or, or whatever. You know, it's been like that all year. And the rotation was throwing really well. The offense couldn't get it together. The offense now, when you look at the numbers, you know, they've been they've been really good. Tied for first in baseball and runs, fourth in OPS. They've been really hitting as of late, you know, even in those two London losses and, and when they once they got to Toronto and Detroit, they've really been hitting and, and obviously, you know, some guys are coming around, some guys have been in good all year. But the pitching staff has been extremely inconsistent. The bullpen it was good at first, and now it's been very bad in the last few weeks as we know. Um so that general inconsistency of you know, things aren't firing on all cylinders, and, and that's kind of what has happened for the Yankees. Things have fired on all cylinders. It's what happened for the Red Sox a year ago, and it's the difference between where the Yankees and the Red Sox are right now. The Red Sox need to start playing consistent baseball. On a seven-game homestand where the Dodgers and the Blue Jays come into town, 
Try to win five out of seven. Try to win six out of seven. Go on the road to Baltimore and Tampa. Win five out of six. You get a couple of those stretches where you win, you know, two-thirds or three-quarters of the game on a homestand, on a road trip, and all of a sudden, you know, you're really distancing yourself from 500. This is the, high, the best record or the best above 500 record the Red Sox have had all year. It's taken this long to get eight games over 500. Again, a year ago, they were 59 and 29. Um, so it, it really they need to be more consistent. That's what Alex Gore has preached all season. And, and now it's, it's time to do that. This Red Sox season is nowhere close to over. I think, like I said, the heightened expectations have made people feel like it's been a disappointment. It really hasn't been, you know, I mean, it has been a disappointment, but it's not a lost cause. It'll be very interesting to see what Dave Dombrowski does at the trade deadline in the next couple of weeks. That's basically it. That's the 10 stories that have defined the Red Sox season this part to this point. Over the next two weeks, there's going to be a few more stories that will probably define the Red Sox season because you can bet Dave Dombrowski will be making a couple big trades, whether that comes in the form of a starting pitcher or a reliever. Those stories will define the second half, much like Nathan Avaldi and Steve Pierce did a year ago for the Red Sox. You know, hopefully, it would be very hard for those these additions to be as good as those were. Nathan Avaldi, basically your postseason MVP. Nathan or and Steve Pierce was your World Series MVP. 2019 obviously has not gone as well for Steve, but will always be known as a World Series MVP in 2018. And then you have the stretch I talked about: the Rays and Yankees, the trade deadline, and then getting into August baseball. And and it's when things start getting serious. So that's your uh, kind of your midpoint, your all-star break 